Ian, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. We know that you, your your book tour is already a book solid. We know that Listen. you're a... <laughs> a whirlwind media tour of two stops. I had the Ian and G thing on Friday, and I'm I'm wrapping it up with this today. So it's, uh, what's up? <laughs> I, I you know I assumed I was going to see you on Conan, and I don't even know what the is late night television. Even, are late night talk shows even a thing? I mean, I, yeah. I I guess I'm not making a Johnny Carson reference, which is good, but I, I feel yes. like we're we're all pretty out of it. I think in that loop, uh, it's uh, it's really hard to know what what the kids are doing these days. So. Exactly. Uh, well, the kids are all on Discord. Is what the kids are doing these days. Yeah, apparently uh, this is this is rad. So I uh, I. I, Adam, you also joined this space, but you and I both joined the space with Elon, I think, after the fireworks had happened. Yes. So I saw, Ian, I saw your tweets. Uh, and as happens to me often with tweets, I had no idea what you were talking about. Uh, so it took some digging, found this space where uh, I guess all the fireworks had, had detonated. And I heard Elon pontificating <laughs> on his... Um, you know, knowledge of the inner workings of Twitter, his new acquisition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how did you discover this space? Yeah, great. No, it's great. Great question. So, um, yeah, I've been like, I've been, I think like many of us, and I think uh, since I see many of us here on Discord and other places, I've been trying to wean myself off of the, the bird site, right? It's just not a good place oh, to be. Um, no, it's not. And, uh, and, you know, it was, it was probably like, what, 8.30 at night or something like that? I don't know, 9 o'clock? I, I can't quite remember exactly what time it was. Probably closer to 8.30 or so. And um, I just, we have uh, you know, two, two young girls, an uh, 8-year-old and a 4-year-old. So i just gotten them all sort of settled for the night. And then, you know, I just like, you know, for like the younger one, I sort of sit outside in the living room outside their rooms, just sort of, you know, like hanging out, being a dad, right? But I got, you know, time to kill. So, you know, fire up the phone and... Uh, to my credit, I did hit Mastodon first and was just sort of like cruising through there, you know, <laughs> seeing what's going on. And then, you know, muscle memory, right? You know, you run out of content on one thing and then just like that bluebird icon hit that just to see what's going on, you know? It, it's a safe space. You don't have to explain yourself. Yeah. No, no. I feel like, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a struggle, right? It's, it's a struggle. It's, a, struggle. it's, a, what, it's a struggle. one day at a time. One day at a time. It's a process. <laughs> it's a process. Absolutely. So, um, and, you know, like the way spaces work is that if there's a couple of spaces, a couple of people that you follow in a space, you get those little purple sort of, <clears throat> you know, like come hither, punch the monkey sort of ads at the top, right? So yeah. <laughs> I that thing like rolls in and I was like, oh, like a space that some, like there's a number of folks. I'm like, oh, like they, you know, they're usually a good indicator of something interesting. And uh so I, you know, I, I, can I, we just pause here just for a no, moment? Because this is one of these features that Twitter Spaces had that or has, I guess, but we no longer use it. So has had. We the, just speak about it in the past tense. Yes. But, yeah. in the past tense, but this whole idea of like, oh, like, like Brian is in this space. Like you may want to go into this space. And it's like, well, Brian may be in this space because he's an idiot or he, yeah. he's got nothing better to do with his life at this moment. Well, and you should definitely not. Like, and I finally found the preferences to be like, I don't want to advertise this because Nahum, I know who is here. Uh, yeah. I, I, I was in a very bad crypto space, not like there's any other kind. And uh, uh, folks that follow me start coming in being like, oh, this must be interesting. Yes. Brian's here. No, They're like, absolutely. what is this? <laughs> what are, what's That's, going on in here? No, it's, it's the worst. You're like, oh my God, this room is full of Nazis. And then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> 
every like like your best <laughs> friends from high school are in there. You're like, oh shit! Now, do they think I'm a Nazi? Do they no, think I'm, I'm into crypto? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm it's really, it's the worst. It's like, yeah, it's like everything I click on, I don't want to be part of the permanent record, people. Right? No, it's terrifying. It's it's such a it's it's such an uncomfortable piece of design. It really is. Um, right. But but it works. I mean, like I'm, right. you know, like I'm I'm bored. It's late. I got nothing going on, and um, yeah, you, know, you get into that interstitial screen first. You haven't quite joined yet, right? So you see like the topic, et cetera, and it's uh, it's the. I don't quite know how to pronounce the guy's last name. Hotz, Hotz, yeah. whatever. George Hotz, Hotz's face. And like the title was like something, something Twitter architecture. I can't remember. But, um, but that sort of gets your hackles up. Because you're like, this, there's nothing, nothing, <laughs> there's, a, there's nothing. This is a very disingenuous space. And when I tune into it, it's going to make me angry. But, you know, at this point, it just, I think, and I think I speak for at least myself. <laughs> I won't, I won't speak for any other X sweeps, but it just it drives you crazy to hear these Yahoos just talking trash about okay. stuff that, like, also like, don't get me wrong. Many things about Twitter's infrastructure deserve to be criticized. <laughs> like we, we used to criticize these all the time as X sweeps as well. But like, there's a different, there's a different motivation. So anyway, I jumped into that space and and was sort of listening uh you know like rage listening i guess and i you know like there was just i, I can't remember what it was i think it was something about like the scale oh of the, I think, the well, service now, maybe, now maybe a good segue to actually play the yeah. clip so adam you want to you want to actually play because i in, in the way i kind of imagine this is you know you, you're kind of like you're tuned in Ooh, but well, you, you're kind of Elon wasn't Elon wasn't there at this point. This is the interesting oh, thing. Oh, actually, that's like, right. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. no, no. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, so I, I like, um, I like. There was some discussion, rambling of, of like, it was George and a bunch of folks who had, yeah, no idea w how Twitter worked or or what the history of the engineering team was. But they they were off on some crazy tangent. I was just like, this is this is ridiculous. Like, this is not this is not this is not true at all. I should. I should just try, you know, let me ask for the mic and see if I can just sort of correct this. Right. Um, and so like they gave me the mic and then the topic had moved on. So I was just sort of sitting there um, with the mic and I think I had my hand raised at one point, like to, like to politely <laughs> like join in in this conversation. And, um, uh, but you know, there, like I just sort of like tuned out of it and I was just sort of hanging out. Um, but uh, I still had the mic, still had my hand up. Um, and then, uh, then, then Musk joined, <laughs> I think I put, I put my hand down. So I was like, what the fuck is my hand up? Like, this is not how Twitter spaces work anyway. It's just like, like, there's no, there's no rules here anyway. So I just put my hand down and I was just, I honestly, I was just listening. I had no intentions of jumping in at this point. Cause my, whatever original thing I was going to speak about had long since entered whatever the dev null of this, this sort of space of, 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 of just, uh, Twitter slander, but um, but yeah, is that maybe is where you could maybe pass it over to you in terms of uh, the. Well, I also just just additional context. The person whose space was this, this George guy is an ex tweep, but he joined yeah. well, like two months. <laughs> yeah, on the, on the claim that he was going to fix up search lickety split, but actually it turned out to be hard because it turns out this stuff is hard. So uh, if folks in the space or in the 
audio can give me some sort of indication they can hear. I'm going to play where Ian came in. Is that right, Brian? Uh, yeah, go ahead and play where, where it, well, it play, you, you want to play the bit that prompted Ian to come in. So start from the top of that clip. Well, I, okay, well, I got, I got the top of that YouTube video you sent over, so I'll start it from there. Diagram? <laughs> no, 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 I mean, like, what do you mean by you, crazy? No, no, there's crazy. Come on, buddy, come on. Who, who are you? What do you mean, who am I? I don't know. You gave me the fucking mic. I got no. Clue. I whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, I'm, I'm doing the mic, and let's let's keep it let's keep it civil in my space. All right. So Adam, I mean, you, can let me give you a. So that is actually that's the beginning of the kind of the full because uh, that yeah. recording goes but, all the way to the end of the space. But it, you kind of picked Ian up mid. That was not the trigger. <laughs> yeah, not the trigger. Right. You you you, you kind of it's not picked, the trigger. Pick Ian up mid fight or flight reaction. Um, the and so I um, the the original yeah. tweet. You have the original tweet from the um, th that's got the. It's easy for you I'll to play that, that video. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the and that recording actually is interesting because that takes you all the way to the end and we get into a lot of other stuff that because one question I wanted to ask you while you well Adam's pointing this up is after they booted you. Did you stick around? Did you listen to the rest of it? I I did not. Well, I think I went back in immediately and tried to get like ask for the mic. <laughs> <laughs> which which like I mean we can get into this as we work work through the sequence here, but like then like you know, like they weren't giving me the mic. Uh that was pretty clear. So I I think I took like a screenshot and, and like said something you know, in the heat of the moment on Twitter about George or something. But then then no, it's like, well, you know, at this point, also, like, like my older daughter was like, why are you, why are you, why, shouting, why is that you know, yelling? <laughs> why are you using those words that we're not right. supposed to use? Like, yeah, it's just, uh, so as a parent, I had to sort of dial it off. And then, you know, I, I had, um, oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I did, uh, <laughs> I, I, I did not, uh, I did not listen in really after that, I guess, after right, I tried to get We're going to play again. some clips yeah. from, from later as well here. Um, oh, so, God. Because okay. You're going to play it, mine, it, right? Yeah, we're going to play yours, Theo. Yeah, exactly. So, because it gets... So, do you want me to get to the start of that uh, the tweet, Brian? Yeah, yeah. So, so play it from the start of the tweet, and we'll, we'll get, get to kind of what okay. set Ian off. Yeah. Before you do that, it's it's I think we'll just need to do a total rewrite of the whole thing. Um, you know, um, wait, ser seriously, a, a total rewrite. That's your, that's your prediction for velocity. Yeah. Well, when you say a total rewrite, do you mean starting with the skeleton or a bunch of engineers sit down with a whiteboard and say, what is Twitter? Uh, revolution or reform? I, I mean, I just mean like literally like this, this, like you either try to, uh, Amend the, the the crazy stack that exists, or uh, re rewrite it. Um, when you when you say when you say crazy stack, what do you mean? Like break it down. Have you seen Have you seen George's like <laughs> diagram? No, no, no. I mean, like, what do you mean by you, crazy? No, no. Crazy Come oh, on, bud. Come on. Who Who are you? What do you mean? Who am I? I don't know. You gave me the fucking mic. I got no. I didn't give you I, I, I'm, I'm doing the mic, and let's let's keep it let's keep it civil in my space. I mean, 
Yeah. Like what? No, no, man. You're in charge of the servers and the programming, whatever. Like what is I, I, the I, I, stack? I, 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 Elon, keep things on, technical man. in my space, please. Take, take it, take it, take me from top to bottom. What does the stack look like right now? What's so crazy about it? What's so abnormal about this stack versus every other large scale system on the planet, buddy? Come on, give it to me. All right. So first off, amazing. Wow, Wait. you're a jackass. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. All right. No, no, no. I got I got no credibility here, buddy. I got okay, no idea. Let's, 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 first let's, off, first let's, off, let's, let's keep my space symbol. Like, we removed him from, from speakers. The features. Okay. That, well, so, welcome to the jackass. Welcome to the, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> well, can, I, can I say one thing, by the way, Ian, just about the language and parenthood thing? I played this clip for my nine-year-old and she asked me for your <laughs> autograph. So, first of all, um, let's answer Elon's question. Who are you? Because you're actually yeah, great, not... Great one of the things that I think was frustrating to a lot of people listening to this is... Uh, you were being treated like, and you were being kind of self-effacing, being like, yeah, who the fuck am I? Like, I'm just some idiot off the street that you gave the mic to. But actually, you're not. And you have got a lot of deep experience at Twitter. So do you want to describe a little bit of kind of the, the basis for your yeah. Twitter business over this? Sure. So I'm a very specific idiot, I think is what we would, we would sort of say here. Like, I think, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I, worked, I worked at Twitter for... Uh, from 2013 up until about a year ago uh, in 2021. And uh, for the bulk of that time, I, um, I managed our, uh, a bunch of teams that are most, uh, I guess, notably our kernel and, and operating systems team, our JVM team, and then the, like, uh, uh, this is hard to sort of sum up in a single sentence, but like this sort of chargeback service registry metering sort of system team. Uh, and then, you know, at the very beginning, a few other things. Yeah, I spent a lot of time working with a lot of people who built this thing and, and or, or built it again or, or refactored it. Or so, yeah, I mean, I won't claim to be an expert, though. I would say I certainly, like, uh, <laughs> I certainly uh, have an emotional investment, let's put it that way, in, in sort of the Twitter legacy, I guess. Well, and I think that, you know, you periodically you get this where someone approaches a system that they don't really understand and they say, we need to rewrite it all. And, it, you know, once you've had any kind of, you know, length of time in, in engineering in a professional capacity, you've dealt with this. And, you know, to me, the problem that you were trying to get to, which is the problem that we should all, trying to, we should all be trying to get to when we're contemplating this very radical step, which is what problem are we trying to solve? Oh, exactly. Yeah, that to me was like, so I'm just sitting there, right? Minding my own business casually. I'm mute, whatever, with no real intention, honestly, of like, I wasn't out to like start a fight with, with Musk or, or really anybody. But I mean, yeah, as an engineering manager, like you can't, like somebody says, hey, we should probably rewrite this from scratch. Like you're legally obligated at that point to like stop the conversation and just say like, as you point out, what are we trying to do here? What are, what we, are we trying to do? And because like there can What's be the there can be legitimate reasons to do this. Like I'm not saying we totally. shouldn't do it, no, but like totally. no. it, you want to be sure that if you are rewriting it just for its own sake. And I did love, and I and I, I don't I don't mean to. Um, it, for me, I found this kind of so upsetting that 
I, in similar situations, would trip over my words. So the and I, I, I could almost feel you being like, "Where the fuck do I start here?" Oh well, you hear my like, I, like <laughs> my, my entry into that was was gibberish. Uh, it, I mean, it, it, you like if you step back and squinted, you sort of got a sense of what I was trying to say. But like I, prediction of velocity is just it's nonsense. But it uh, I so think I it, like I loved your brain core dumping on that sentence in particular because what Musk is saying is in order to deliver features faster, we're going to rewrite everything from scratch. And it's literally like I just divided by zero in my brain. I mean, it's like yeah. that you that yeah, doesn't work. No, it, I mean it was just like I was absolutely reflexive. Whatever. Like I'm, I'm, ah, shit, I'm fucking saying something. And then you're just like, ah, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't really what I, <laughs> exactly how I wanted to say that. Uh, and then I, you know, then I was like, all right, well, said my thing, let's, you know, like back on mute. Like it wasn't, I was not ready to, to get into what happened next, but it, it, uh, you know, I think as we heard in that, 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 uh, that clip, it was this, it was the you know the crazy stack part, right? It was it was it was just this like I don't know. I just I just it's got just it. disparaging, right? It's disparaging yeah, of yeah. of of yes. all of the complexity that that folks at Twitter have faced, that non-trivial, first of its kind, in a lot of different ways, and yeah. to just say it's crazy is so disparaging and so dismissive of this hard work and these hard problems, and to think that one could just cons it up from whole cloth in some sort of timely fashion is lunacy. Wait, it's also, it's so non-technical. I mean, it's like, yeah. it'd be one thing to be like, look, you know, our, our write latency is just off the charts for, you know, this aspect or these kinds. I mean, it's like, it'd be one thing to kind of like disparage it with technical grounding, but this is just like just disparaging it because I it, it, it's otherworldly. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. I, how could this possibly be this complicated? It's like, well... You actually want to learn like we can explain it to you but why this is yeah and it, which is it's, not to say that like everything should be the way it is of course but it, right. it, it's a, it's very hard as a starting point for a conversation no it absolutely and and just you know to go to back to twitter again like you could have you could do twitter in a lot of different ways you don't have to do it the way twitter ended up building it right but you know there are so many like decisions that went into this there's just so much evolution right and there's so many reasons for the way it actually is and that lack of curiosity right this yes. is the thing that just yes it just and it's even worse than that it's just it's a disingenuous sort of like approach to this where it's like we are we are coming here to look for fault so that we can hit the sort of point we've been trying to make from from the beginning which is like twitter is a disaster and a train wreck which again, it's, such a, it's such a, not totally untrue in many <laughs> over the years that's not a false statement but like like there's a way to get there that brings everybody along for it. And this is not that sort of approach. It's, just yeah, it's such a, it's such a great point. I love it so much because I think it is a trap that maybe we've all fallen into. I certainly have multiple times and seen, then seen mm. people fall into it, which is people show up, they look at this code that was written a year or two or five or 10 ago. Or is it a life? Say, this is know. a mess. <laughs> right. So this is a mess. I, why would anyone have done it this way? And even, you know, maybe being the author of the code and I've been in this situation looking back five years and say, you know what, that was bad, but it was also the first version and we didn't know what we were doing. And yes, in hindsight, it all looks like garbage. Um, but everything looks like garbage in hindsight. There is the rare piece of software that really holds up. And it is such a you know tough position that when people come in saying, well, it's all, everything is crap. Yeah. Sorry, Ian, go ahead. 
No, I, was gonna, I mean, it, it, like there is like, you know, we like there is this practice of like, you know, you get into this like any large organization gets into this like learned helplessness kind of sort of mode where if they don't go back and challenge the fundamental assumptions that you had when you were building this three years ago or, you know, five years ago, like you will end up with stuff that doesn't make sense necessarily for present day. But just let me say this, like on behalf of like Twitter engineers that I've worked with over the years, like so many of them were really great about going back, revisiting those choices, revisiting the architecture, the granularity of a given section of that service graph, et cetera. So like, to, I mean, just, it just, this is why that crazy, that just lack, I mean, just, it, it hit, you know, I was in full. Okay. So we, Ian, you're hitting on a couple of really important points here. One is this kind of ship of Theseus phenomenon where it's like, there have been rewrites happening surely at Twitter. Certainly if for most large systems have been rewritten many times as individual components are rethought of. And some of those components uh, will remain and are really hard to, to rethink, but a lot do get rewritten. There are, there are rewrites within this larger system all the time, which is all the more reason why this idea of a total rewrite of like, we are going to rewrite everything at Twitter just doesn't parse. It doesn't make sense. No. Well, it, I mean, I, I think like you have to bring in also like this, you know, Spolsky's classic, you know, like Netscape, whatever, 4.0 sort of rewrite thing where like just the act of burning it all to the ground and starting from scratch, like you're going to have to relive like a, like 10 years of experience to get to a point where you have something as close to the stability, scalability. All those corner cases are destroyed, right? You just, you've lost that like, that sort of bug-driven evolution of how that quote-unquote stack, uh, you know, ended up in that current state. It's just, it, it's just, it was such a, it's madness. Just and that's to, assuming to you don't it. succumb to second system syndrome, which, yeah, which where everyone is like, oh, thank God, we're rewriting the stack. Okay, great. If we're going to rewrite the stack, like these are the 50 things that I have learned that we definitely need to incorporate <laughs> into the rewritten stack. And, yeah. and like a lot of that can be really important wisdom but you can also easily end up with something that is so burdened. That so complex. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, this is the, uh, and actually, do you, um, Adam, may I do a brief reading from the Mythical Man Month? The, oh, by all means. Um, <laughs> but this, so this is Fred Brooks's Mythical Man Month, which is dated in some regards, certain, it, 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 very dated in, in other regards. It's a very gendered for the way, the way it speaks of everything. But there are certain things that are kind of timeless that were pretty clear early on in software development. And one of these is, now quoting from Brooks, the general, the general tendency is to over-design the second system using all the ideas and frills that were cautiously sidetracked on the first one. The result, as Ovid says, is a, quote, big pile, unquote. I'm like, didn't Ovid live like in like 40 BC, but apparently Ovid said big pile. That's yeah. That's, that's some, that's some old Latin slang. There. <laughs> no, like, it's like, even like it was a giant pile of garbage. Ovid was like, this thing is a giant pile of garbage that we can't rewrite. Uh, for example, consider the IBM 709 architecture later embodied in the 7090. This is an upgrade, a second system for the very successful and clean 704. The operation set is so rich and profuse that only about half of it was regularly used. And I think that the, the, the way that the second system effect manifests itself can vary. But I think it, it shows the, the, the more abstract idea of this peril of a rewrite. Like a rewrite is, is a 
radical operation. It can be done successfully, but um, you have to proceed cautiously and with a lot of curiosity about the past. And it's also going to take a while. That's the other thing. That he, yeah, this yeah, yeah. No, totally yeah. Like, this is like the, velo the velocity aspect. I mean, it was so comical in the sense that like, if you want to hurry up and ship a bunch of features, starting over from zero is probably not going to get you <laughs> to that. Like, like you're not going to get spaces 3.0 out the door anytime soon. It's just, it is. Yeah, and so then there are, so, so the other thing that's kind of interesting, and this is throughout this entire space, is so George, I don't know if you, I guess you haven't followed George in, but George is an interesting character. So this is easy, definitely, I don't agree with, with certainly some of his perspectives, but he's indisputably like a real technologist who cuts code and, um, and value. On the security side of things in particular, he's insane, like one of the top in the world when it comes to like cracking like consumer hardware software. He was one of the pioneers of jailbreaking both in the PlayStation and the iOS like early days. Right. So was total pioneer. He was, the, I think, the first one, Theo, right, to jailbreak iOS. Certainly a very early iOS jailbreak. Um, coming yeah, I, I know Sorek and a few of my other friends in the safety and security scene hold him in very high regard, which surprised me because I didn't know like what his, like, because some of the stuff he said outside of security is so absurd that I had no idea <laughs> that's that he, right. how and much the, he knew what he was doing, but he absolutely does in that space. Yeah, that's right. And, and Theo, I think you're capturing ex exactly it. It's like he is what he... Uh, there's some great technical gravitas there, but there's also like, he definitely says some things that are like, okay, whoa, don't, don't, don't agree with that one. But the thing that is interesting to me in this conversation, especially in, in your exchange with Musk, George is actually trying to get it on the rails and to ask actually Musk some questions that Musk never answers. I love his revolution or reform. So he, I don't know if you, you know, he in there, he says like, are you talking revolution or reform? Asking that mm -hmm. of Musk. And the, cause I think, and Theo, it'd be interesting to know your take on this, you having, you know, you were there for that entire space, but I think George's answer is like, what you actually need is reform. You got to pay down a bunch of this technical debt. You over and over again in that space, he's like, you keep talking about new features. We need to pay down technical debt, which I think is probably a, a, a position that I think in just about any engineering organization is probably the case. I don't, there are very few that don't need to pay down technical debt. Um, but I thought that was, uh, and it's, that came up kind of over and over again, but Ian, in that particular exchange, I think George is trying to be like, wait a minute, what are you talking about by a total rewrite? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I've listened to that a few times, obviously. And, uh, I think, yeah, no, it, it was like, just like if, if the moderator or George had like, you know, like done like the question leading sort of that he was trying to do, then like it probably wouldn't have blown up but it uh, you know i think it was yeah it definitely all right so then i think it's a little unfair to george to assume that he could in any way get that back oh. on the rails oh, no, like totally. he considering the state of the call i was impressed with how well he held it together i was impressed too i mean i i was impressed because he d was willing to ask musk some tough questions and then not go in to save him when he couldn't answer um yeah. and he also stood up for me at one point which i really didn't expect like when i was grilling elon on the ad stuff and elon said to kick me uh, george specifically said no theo knows what he's talking about and then kept me in the space so that's a good segue so ian cause i don't know if you've heard this but so later maybe like 15 minutes after you'd been booted um, I think it was less than that. It was long enough that he was still pissed because of talking to you. I, I um, yeah, I, you know, I, it, 
it was a it was a while though. I mean, the, the kind of discussion had passed, and then we on to a new discussion. And then Adam Honor, do you have the 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 clip of when uh, Theo was volunteering his expertise on ad targeting? Yeah, give me just one second. Sure. It's pinned in the quote tweet on my profile. So the end. So Theo, because you had been in the space also from the beginning, I think, right? Yeah, I joined pretty early. Right. I don't know how I saw it. I think that Dev Agrawal sent me it uh, pretty early, so I hopped in, and then he said that he was like taking requests for people who had pushback on stuff, and I immediately jumped up, and he added me. We've continued right, chatting. Ad sales and a lot of like purchasers expect ads isn't necessarily I'm going to give you these ads and I trust you to serve them to the right people. It's usually almost the opposite where it's I want to target this group of people in this region who went to a Jiffy Lube in the last 72 days. That level of micro targeting is something a lot of ad buyers now expect. And like it's a huge part of how CDMs can get so high on platforms like YouTube. Regardless of whether they're targeted or not, if your goal is CPMs, you should have a very good idea that someone's going to click on an ad before you show it to them. And you can do this with good ML. But sometimes these advertisers will serve entirely different versions of the same ad. Please, he's just talking nonsense. Thanks. Um, so uh, the the I've actually talked to the advertisers. Um, I talked to some major advertisers just today, this morning, and they were looking for as you would expect, return on investment. So that if they spend a certain amount of money, uh, are they going to get a return in excess of the amount of money spent? Quite rational, not arbitrary or random. So, uh, and I won't say who it is, but there are major advertisers who spent $60 million on Twitter this year. And they were like, uh, we calculated the ROI. Actually, like another company helped them calculate the ROI. And Twitter was the lowest. And this is why they're having difficulty uh, spending additional money on Twitter because they're literally looking at the lowest ROI. I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, Yeah, talking absolute nonsense as he goes on to explain that Twitter can't actually make money from ads. Absolute nonsense. So so if folks missed it, because Elon came in and spoke over Theo. When you were speaking, he spoke over you and said, turn this guy off, please. He's just talking nonsense. And which was like, we was kind of like, as again, Ian, I had the same reaction when listening to your interchange with him, where it's like, my brain is short circuiting because it's, I mean, it's definitely not nonsense. It's, what's the opposite of nonsense again? Like total sense? Um, so, and Theo, was that surprising? I mean, you kind of, you, so you've listened to this exchange with Ian some 15 minutes earlier. Uh, were you Were you surprised when he... Uh, and then later, as you point out, George is like, actually, I think Theo actually, well, I'm not, I'm not going to boot him because he's, he, he's made contributions to the space. But, uh, that was surprising to me that he was disagreeing with something that feels so basic from an advertiser perspective. I'd say that I'm semi surprised. It's hard for me to remember how I felt at the moment. Cause I've just overanalyzed the shit out of it and thought through like how I feel about it now. And what I feel now is that Elon's like major success of Tesla is something that every step along the way, everybody said, you can't just make a car company. That's not how this works. And it turned out he was like kind of right. And now he assumes he can do that in a lot of spaces where you just can't do that. Like you can't reinvent ads by making a really good algorithm. You have to like compete in the ad space as it stands and works. And it was 
surprising to me how little he was willing to try and understand a new space as though like his ability to brute force into one carries over to others. The thing that surprised me the most though is George standing up for me. I did not expect that in the slightest and we've ended up chatting like a good bit after and I have a, a decent bit of respect for him and I think that my perspective on all this in the end is somewhere like between everybody's and I'm just disappointed in Elon as a business like <laughs> person like he's just failing as a person who has to make a company profitable because he's been able to ride off a fucking like investment forever and that's not an option anymore for Twitter and he's kind of fucked yeah it is very disappointing in that regard and uh the the, the whole thing is very disappointing and I think also very revealing so I think the point you raised is a good one where this is someone and the, you know we we've talked about this before that it, it it takes you have to be crazy to start a company in some regard and we want people to be crazy enough to start a company but then no crazier like be normal and and, and remain curious and grounded and detail-oriented and some people can pull that off and maybe he was for some period of time but where we are now he is because i think a common theme theo across what you're saying and and you know what, what your experience is just this total lack of curiosity about like don't you want to actually understand how this stuff works and it, because there was a lot of opportunity to make twitter better i feel when he was coming in had he had that curiosity I think making Twitter more profitable is it needs to be the first focus. And he came in with a little bit of that with the layoffs, but hasn't maintained it since. Like he he did the the big scary optics thing, but then none of the like annoying detail-oriented work to actually make money appear, like working on the ad network, like or just so much of the value of Twitter is going to have to be through ads and through video ads in particular, if they want to lean into video and they just haven't put the effort into acquiring bucketing, identifying targets and doing the things you need to, to actually serve those ads. And the, the way he explained advertising and like how his relations with the advertisers are going, it just, it screams, we don't have anything to offer here. And that's, that's a death sentence in this space. Totally. And again, totally incurious about perspective totally incurious about Ian about your perspective and totally incurious you know kind of well, looking for totally I mean totally incurious about everybody who was actually there working on this stuff when he took this over I mean just the way in which the layoffs occurred it was I mean it was like arbitrary at best and like vindictive in very specific points uh, at worst and I think that if you are trying to like run a business or you know, grow that business to the point where you can actually recoup that, for lack of a better word, investment. Um, it just like just stop, like talk to folks. Like nobody, I nobody I worked with and had contact with had anything close to a rational, reasonable conversation that wasn't, you know, wasn't hostile and or pretty clear what was going to happen at the end. Of it. Just, just, it's in madness. It's well, it's, okay, so Ian, so this is another thing I wanted to ask you because certainly one of the things that uh, having worked in a fear-based environment, not that this is, <laughs> not that this is that surprising, but like fear yeah. completely undermines creativity and risk-taking. I mean, obviously. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I think just you know my my favorite manager of Frozen quote is you know people make bad decisions when they're scared or or stressed or upset, right? You know it's 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 just it's not a great 
a great environment for, for creativity or even just good decision making. It's just, uh, I'd put a lot of this on a spectrum. I, I call it the overthinking, underthinking, where fear and insecurity and those things result in overthinking to the point where you make a bad decision and like too much hubris and confidence results in underthinking leading you to a bad decision. The the goal, especially like to go back to the founder point of like being just crazy enough is being having just enough hubris to like think through decisions, but not so much that you overthink and end up like overcommitting or undercommitting when you need to just get the thing done. Totally. But what do you get when you mix hubris and fear? I guess nothing but bad decisions. <laughs> Absolute fucking chaos. <laughs> Absolute chaos. And that is, I think is that's the other thing that I, that is would make it very difficult to be. Because I try to think of myself like, all right, if I'm an engineer at Twitter and I have decided, I mean, realistically, I've decided because I, I have to. My circumstances dictate that I need to stay because I got to assume that anyone who's got the capacity to leave would have left. How do I get excited about these elements? I, when he talks about this kind of this total rewrite, in, in some regards, it's so abstract that it's actually hard to get concretely excited about it. And I, I don't think that he views that kind of intrinsic motivation as important to software engineering. And we know that that intrinsic motivation is like the whole game. I, at least from my experience, you know, your experience as, as someone who's had to lead teams, yeah. but like you, like your entire, all of your true intellectual property, all of the, the the intellectual engine of your endeavor walks out of the office every night, or or I guess we no longer work from offices, so I don't know, goes to bed every night. But the, the and in order to harness that, you have to stoke their intrinsic motivation. And when you make things, when they're chaotic, when you make people afraid uh it's not i mean i think worse than 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 overthinking you just run the risk that they they just shut down completely yeah no i mean i couldn't i couldn't agree more it, it, you need people who are you know absolutely like stoked about what they're doing right i mean like it's it's absolutely great and awesome to work for that paycheck because you need a paycheck and that's like the extrinsic motivations are are important too you got to meet those needs right you got to give people that like <laughs> People got to eat. Although, but, no, but, like, what extrinsic motivations? Because it'd be one thing if you'd be like, all right, look, so I'm going to, like, I'm going to recap everybody. And if you stick around with me at Twitter for the next, you know, for four years, you're going to have, you know, this kind of ownership or this, like, you're going to, I'm going to really incentivize you to stay. I'm not saying, is, he, is any of that happening? I don't think any of that's happening. No, but as you point out, there are people there, right, who, like, need their health insurance to continue, right? They, they can't find a job for either visa reasons you know, in a hurry, um, or, or many absolutely valid reasons that they're still there. Um, but you know, maybe they have a payout, right. They, you know, aqua hire something and they, they're still waiting to get that like, you know, two year or whatever uh, payout. And that's great. Like get that money, do what you need to do for the rest, you know, to, to live your life and, and, and to be, you know, to survive. But in terms of the quality of work that you're going to be doing in terms of like the output being what Twitter at this extreme sort of uh, point needs it just i don't see how you get that it just uh it just doesn't seem doesn't seem possible but it, it just feels like we are and i think you mentioned this earlier as well that we are kind of passing beyond an event horizon where this thing is not gonna come back it feels like this thing is gonna live as its primary value is going to be as an object lesson as to what not to do in terms of running a business um it, and so on, on that note, one of the things that, that also drives me nuts is 
there's some deliberate, I feel, misreads of history that Musk has when he and, and Adam. I don't know if you do you have the, the the Mac OS clip. Not sure. Oh no, I don't have that one uh, up. Sorry. Yeah. Do you have the index on that? No worries. Yeah, that was at like twenty minutes and ten seconds or something like that. Actually, maybe into 19, that video you sent. Yeah, the video, the the, the full length one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, 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 was he off on like? Was there some player like next step? exactly oh my goodness right it's and (laughs) it is so you know i feel that like part of the danger of you know misbehavior from someone like musk is that people who lionize musk will appeal to that kind of implicit authority when they want to do some and i I mean we've already heard this like anecdotally where where musk is emboldening people in silicon valley to do i mean to make honestly to behave badly um i I, i'm not sure what i would look at at what he's done at twitter i don't think there's anything there that is that is laudable honestly um and so but what's funny is to and of course people have done this with jobs as well there's not there are many others in history where people kind of look to these folks and kind of pick and choose what they want to learn from him and it was funny to hear musk use jobs as as a model uh, and in particular, the uh, for the for the Jobs' return to Apple. Adam, do you have that one? Yeah, I think yeah, I think I've got that. Like you said, like look back at at uh, old school Apple. You know, I, when they had the their old operating system, and then Jobs came along with OS, uh, you know, OS X. You know, it was it was a it was a new stack. It wasn't like uh, let's let's like you know fool well, around with the old Apple OS. Uh, it was like the, it, he just took the next OS. And um, adapted that to Apple and said, yeah, your old software just doesn't work anymore. Too bad. But an operating system doesn't run it. That's but no, but the old software also still worked, right? There was the carbon yeah, runtime. That's, they had that's, that's like, not even right. Like, that, that, that is just that, such that, a misread of everything that has happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just like that is, that is just uh, it was bought for next. It was the compatibility was paramount. Uh, people, developers were treated with respect. I imagine even internally, probably engineers at Apple were occasionally treated with respect. And uh, sorry, also, are we just going to erase the actual history of next computer? That I mean, next, yeah, because it's like, (laughs) like Jobs didn't come along with a rewrite. I mean, he no, he had started next in what in eighty five. Thanks for the reminder that you guys have been coding longer than I've been alive. So I worked I worked at a, a bank in the early stages of my software development career, and uh, the entire trade as derivatives and risk uh, 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 part of the bank, and the entire trading floor was running on next step machines. It was just like we had Objective C programmers uh, all over the place. Uh, was that at like, O'Connor? It was, Where was that? No, this was uh, so this was at, at Bank of America. But huh, let me give you the like let me un- let me unwind this. It's not really Bank of America, right? Uh, it was uh, um, it was one of the original Chicago options sort of trading houses that came out of uh, like the derivatives sort of revolution, like post Black Shoals and like like seventy nine eighty whatever. It was like the Ritchie brothers uh, built this whole thing, sold it to Nations Bank. Nations Bank bought Bank of America, so technically it was Bank of America, but it was still like this hardcore sort of like you know like OG sort of uh, Chicago derivatives uh, and options sort of, uh, uh, you know, trading sort of world. But like full on next, next, uh, sorry, slight digression here, full on next uh, shop. Apple's bank was 
Bank of America. That's where Apple banked their stuff. So when Mac OS X, when OS X came out, I guess, uh, Apple came and gave a, a pitch to like this software group that we were part of and was like, you know, um, hey, we got like this new set of like machines coming out, like this new OS, like it's pretty much compatible with all your next uh, based infrastructure and software here. Like, what do you guys think? Should we, should we roll with this or what? Um, and every next step developer was like, fuck yes, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And, you know, in classic large bank traditions, we went with Java uh, and something else. But it was one of those, it, it's just an amazing sort of moment where, where you just zigged when they could have zagged and had really just an amazing platform that was fast and not a total rewrite, but just a port of their software over to the, the new OS. Anyway, sorry. Memory road trip there. Uh, back to you guys. I'll, uh, well, but, I'll but I think it's, I mean, it's, but, it's, there, that there had been this long, yeah, like, yes, next is, I guess you could say next is a, is a from scratch rewrite of it all, but it was a long and torturous path to get to Jobs's return back to Apple in 97 when next is basically on the brink of bankruptcy um, or insolvency. And th th that, you know, to, to kind of portray that as inspiration for whatever the hell Musk is going to do at Twitter, it's like, Sorry, that you're not Steve Jobs, dude. You're Gil Emilio. So, I mean, you are presiding over the over the death of Twitter. You're not actually doing the rewrite. The uh, yeah, no, yeah. It, it it seems it seems like that's it. It seems like end end times. Well, and, and I just think again, it's so it's it's funny to hear that used as the as kind of the Casas belly there, uh, because the other thing is like the rewrite is if you are to rewrite this, uh, and even indeed paying down technical debt, all this stuff takes time, and I think from an executive perspective, uh, having folks pay down technical debt is something that's really challenging to do because it doesn't necessarily have a, an artifact that is going to be user visible. It's technical debt. It's like, actually, we're in a, a much better position for the features we want to go add six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, but it hasn't actually meaningfully changed the, the artifact. And Musk seems like the, the opposite of the kind of executive who would be able to get behind that. Yeah, no, again, like you, you don't ship any features while you rewrite the whole stack, but Again, it comes back to like the motivation here. It doesn't seem like anything close to like a rational sort of plan to make Twitter successful. It just it, it feels like this very emotional sort of attack on stuff that he seems to have some serious serious issues with. It, it just feels so personal. Well, and so the thing is, it, I can I try something yeah, yeah. absurd? Can I try to do my best to, despite my disdain for Elon, how he's running the business and everything, try to theorize the scenario in which a rewrite might make sense sure. based yeah, on yeah. what we've seen? Okay. So let's say I'm the CEO of Twitter. I look at the bank. We have two years left before we're out of money. We just lost half of our major advertisers. We're effectively going belly up. We have four proposals for new things we could build that could possibly get us profitable. And we write out the spec for all four. We look at these different things and we can't decide like which of these makes the most sense. Each of them will take a year to make with the current state of the code base and the current state of the info, everything that we're building on top of. 
So we have four years of things to test and two years to do it in. Or we could take the massive risk of rewriting a big portion, spinning up parallel infra, being in like fourth system hell with the possibility that we can actually test all four of these things before we're out of cash and maybe just maybe increase the chance that this business is able to survive. But the the core being they need to find a thing that makes Twitter more money, not a new fucking vanity metric to put on your timeline. So uh, I think a reasonable question to ask, but but again, like what what is it about the stack? This is, I'm sorry, what is it about the stack that limits them from actually moving forward with this? I think that's that's where I, I lose the, the plot in, in Musk's sort of assertion that the stack is crazy or the hypothetical that like you're blocked by doing X, Y, or Z. I, I don't. One example did that. come up during the call that I thought was interesting. The, I, the fact that the view count DB is entirely separate and hosted in Google Cloud when the rest of their data storage was entirely unrelated and sure. trying to build a bridge between those two things was a significant challenge for them. Don't get me started on the, <laughs> on the GCP, uh, AWS. Uh, so Twitter's made some bad decisions, no question. My personal opinion, and I, I don't speak for necessarily anybody else at Twitter, but like going to the public cloud, shifting a lot of the analytics stuff out of off-prem was insane. It was just a dumb idea. Interesting. Absolutely. Interesting. Move it back. Just move it back. I mean, like, don't, like I, I think the, like, that split brain thing, totally legit. Um, again, like, before Musk, like there was a lot to criticize about Twitter and how the company was run but, and the decisions from the business perspective. I think that that but, split brain, by the way, likely came from the expediency, Theo, that you're talking about, because it sounds like, it, it, I mean, Twitter as a business has has had its struggles for, for a period of time. And at some point, just from the, listening in on the space, someone wanted to ramp up analytics infrastructure and they lacked available compute resources on-prem so they spun it up on the cloud you know not unreasonable but it now has given you this device now you th that that system that you have as a result is now a you you've tried to do something to simplify yourself and to, ex to expedite yourself but you have a net result that is much more complicated and i think that, Theo, that's what you're referring to in terms of that fourth system problem yeah and well, Theo, go ahead but I do want to jump back in on, yeah, on, go on. on the GCP. Yeah, do it. So, I, you know, having had a ringside seat to a lot of the back and forth of GCP, like I, I don't really, I'm skeptical of the claim that the capacity wasn't there. We, we there was a, a bunch of large company kind of things that go down where somebody has like the cloud was pushed at Twitter um, by folks on the board and, and sort of VPs who'd come in and go, which is like, hey, obviously we should be in the cloud. And time and time again, and this is maybe relevant to some of the work that the Oxide folks are doing, time and time again, like the, the, the decision point came down to like, it's just way too fucking cheap for Twitter to run, in particular, its compute resources on-prem, right? Just there's just no way that the, the economics would make sense. The, but there was always this continuous sort of drive, right? And, and this also goes back in a, in a healthy way, I think, to the like the overall like keep questioning your sort of, you know, your your learned assumptions, your learned helplessness, right? Like reevaluating whether or not Twitter should be in the cloud. Ultimately, I think when we made the decision to go to GCP, it really felt more like a high level sort of decision that sort of ignored some of the the physics of both the cost of running on GCP versus running on Twitter. 
and also I think a lot of um, maybe uh, narratives that that sort of build uh, I think a certain executives' desire to close the GCP uh, deal. Uh, that executive is now unsurprisingly at GCP. At Google, exactly. Of course, but, like, right? I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, like, the whole I thing have is, a lot of personal well, bias against GCP, and just like all the interactions I've had with people, both execs and individuals there, have been like some of the most like I, I've never felt like I was using IQ points faster. Well, I, I I will say like they have really great people. I mean, they they're building really great stuff. I, I will just, yeah. just I'll, so I'll even I defend the Firebase team as much as I hate the Firebase yeah. product. Like I know a lot of good engineers <laughs> over there. Yeah, I just want to, so, just so I, I'm clear. I'm I'm you know everybody's a lot of great engineers all over the place. So it's just uh... yeah. I to go back to the like how did Twitter get here and how does Twitter get out? I yeah. want to start with a couple premises just to see like. What, what the like bounds of our agreement and disagreement are and a lot of this is going to be coded in my like ignorance as a younger dev like i'm building on top of the backs of like what you guys were making when i was in diapers and it's essential i was even talking to brian earlier about how important a bunch of his talks are for like getting me into the idea of speaking as part of software and like with that all said a i, I, tr I cannot find where this quote came from it was said by luke lafren on uh, the wan show by linus tech tips i'm a good friend of luke's I asked him to find the source for me because I want it so badly. The quotes, every three years, any given piece of software gets roughly three times easier to make. How do we feel about that? I mean, I think that that is it's intriguing. It is, um, and I think the answer varies to, on different kinds of software. Uh, and I, for me, it feels like there are certainly... I'd say kernels get three times harder. Yeah, well, the, the, there are things that have... I mean, I, I mean, honestly, to get technical about that, I mean, like, Rust has made that lowest-level system software. It's not a factor of three. It's a much bigger factor, I think, ultimately. Um, but it also is not over three years. It's over a much longer period of time. And I think that software has gotten easier and easier to rewrite, or easier to write, which is, I think, part of the reason why, Adam, you mentioned earlier about... You know, going back to your own software that you'd written some of years ago, being like, someone's like, why would you do it this way? It's like, well, because this other stuff didn't exist. That's why. So I think that there, there's some real truth to that, which is part of the reason why you do want to kind of constantly be reevaluating why did we do it this way? And if we were to do it again, would we make the same decisions? And then I think the other the, the other key bit is, if you if we were to make a different decision, would it have merely allowed us to deliver that same artifact faster and better? Or is it going to yield some real quantum jump in the, the quality that we really deliver right now? Adam, do you remember my, my argument about KRTLD with Mike back in the day? No, I don't. So KRTLD, Mike was complaining about KRTLD, the, which is the kernel runtime linker. And the he's like, there's no way we're going to have the kernel runtime linker as it is 10 years from now. It's just like, it just it, it, this is not software that we should be Because it's like, the kernel runtime linker is filthy, and it's got lots of like strange hacks in it. But the kernel runtime linker... That's in, a fit of, that's in a fit of peak where Mike had been trying to add something or whatever and finding that it was 10 times harder than it needed to be. For sure. And it, it it can be really frustrating. The problem is that the kernel runtime linker also has like, it's a bounded surface area. It does actually work for sure. It's not something that you, you don't really use in the hot path. You kind of load a kernel module and like, that's it. 
And I remember having this bet with him. I'm like, the kernel runtime linker is not going to be rewritten within 10 years. It's just not. It's not on a trajectory to be rewritten within 10 years because not that it's not a, a the, the existing software is not grotty. It is. But that rewrite wouldn't yield anything. The, like, KRTLD will be rewritten when it is a side effect of doing something much larger. So if we were to, you know, for example, if we were to ha ultimately rewrite the entire operating system in Rust, like, yes, obviously, like, KRTLD is not coming along for that ride. But you, it makes no sense to rewrite it simply because it may be easier to write that kind of software today. Because the software works and theo i think that would be like my ultimate counter argument to that would be like i totally agree but i wouldn't necessarily use it as a so i'm just for creating yeah. i'm just doing premises right <laughs> now like we haven't gotten to yeah. the argument yet like yeah. I, I asked one question <laughs> so sorry okay so, yes next premise no worries so, so the premise one is software gets significantly easier to write over years like I, i've heard the three times in three years number and that gut feel is right for me in the web dev world right now things are getting significantly better significantly faster than i ever would have expected and it's maintaining so with that premise like largely agreed upon the next one is that when decisions are made a lot of the value in that decision comes from the understanding of the decision okay like, like even like a, a decision, right or wrong, whatever, a lot of the value in a given software decision comes from the the fact that the people who made it know why they made yeah, it. I, yeah, no, I'm definitely with you on that. And, and, and the the basis of the decision is an important part of, of the act, the deliberation behind it. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. This is why I'm awesome. a big believer in well-documented code and having uh, documents to support why decisions are made. Yes, totally with you. Awesome. One last one. A, a work environment that has more dimensions of complexity is going to have engineers more hesitant to make sweeping changes. So the, the more debt, uncertainty, legacy, code, whatever the hell we want to call all of these things in a given code base, engineers are now less likely to be up to propose and be down for sweeping changes, be it tech or product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, with you on that one for sure. And especially as you get implicit interdependencies and you get a, someone, you know, occasionally you'll have someone who doesn't believe that and then they will break the system rather badly and then they will like, actually, okay, I, I get it now. So yes, I, I agree with that as well. Yeah. I, I think these are the premises that Elon is working within and the additional understandings that make all of these things you shouldn't act on are development he just hasn't made personally. And the result is if, if like you operate within those axioms and ignore the rest, rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. That's what everything screams at you. I'm not saying it's the right thing. I'm saying that's roughly how he got there. Yeah, I think that that's giving him far too much credit. I mean, I, I, I on the one hand, I mean, he should be lucky to have someone giving him such sound intellectual basis for what is to me just a very emotional kind of reaction. But I think that we could... Okay, that's fair. I, I can't assign this to him. I, I'm saying, like, as I sat down to try and think, yeah. why would any smart person ever say rewrite here? What are the things they're thinking? What are the things they're not okay, so thinking? That's actually, Those yeah. are the things that they have to be thinking. I mean, this is the thing where you need to go back and re-examine the priors. First of all, is Elon Musk a smart person? <laughs> and and I, I'm, I'm asking that seriously. I mean, I think the answer is no. Is or I, was? I, I, mm. uh, either. That's, I mean, I think mm. that he, he I, comes so, from... Something that came up earlier that I was that I wanted to jump on was the idea that Elon isn't curious yeah. because that was one of the few things that stood out 
about him for me earlier on. Like when I first saw him doing interviews in particular, I think there was a Joe Rogan way back where he was going very in depth on like the physics of the car door and like the engineering challenges they had in building the door for the Tesla. And it sounded like he was genuinely excited and really curious about how those things work. It was a fundamentally different tone that I'm seeing in him now. And I do feel like that curiosity died. And with it, a lot of the like, question asking that you would expect when someone doesn't know what they're talking about and as a result when you go from asking questions about things you don't know to making statements about things you don't know you go from <laughs> curious to stupid no, I, very fast so this well, is a very he's, hold on he's a been surrounded by people he's been surrounded by people for decades now who have been telling him what an amazing genius he is and everything that he says is so smart and preeminent. like if you were constantly told that you were the smartest person in the room you begin to believe that and everything else that didn't originate, you know, fully formed from the head of Elon Musk, like, is just balderwash and nonsense. And that's why he can, blat- you know, just arrogantly dismiss everything. Well, you know, shut this person up. He's talking nonsense. It's like, well, yeah, because, you know, that didn't come from him. And if he truly believes that he is the smartest person around, then he has no incentive to be curious about anything, really. Well, and I, th- I, th- I think that this is exactly it. And I think, yeah, you're making a very good point that people absolutely do change over time. Kara Switcher has made the same argument because th- th- she points out that, you know, I did some very in-depth interviews with, with Elon years ago, and this is not the Elon that I recognize at all. Um, and Dan, to your point, it's like you when you get surrounded with sycophants, you and which, by the way, a fear-based culture will generate sycophants, right? A fear-based culture will generate people around you telling you what you want to hear. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, it's an interesting kind of study in how to navigate this to listen to George in that space, try to like get him back on the rails without being like, hey, pal, like go fuck yourself, you're wrong. He, I mean, he's trying to not lose his kind of his own credibility with Musk while trying to steer him and it's very hard to do with someone who has been hearing over and over and over again what a genius they are we we did musk a disservice societally by treat and certainly did the the people who were the true founders of tesla and the engineers of spacex and so on we did those folks a did both musk and those folks a disservice by pretending that he had done all this stuff because he speaks in the and Adam, I don't know if you've got the um, the clip from Fifty Seven Minutes. If that's one you can get to, yep. Teed up right okay, now. Okay, yeah, shall yeah. I? yeah th- 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 this is a good one. Well, it's I feel like sort of a lot of things I should preface by this is like what I think someone told me, um, as opposed to like this is the God's honest truth. Um, so that's an important preface for anything I say. It, what I say may not be true, or at least it's my recollection of what I think someone told me. So uh, don't take anything I say with a grain of salt. Oh my God. It's just like, wow. It, and, and you're just like, that's quite a disclaimer, quite right? A disclaimer. You, you walk around with a tattoo like that. I mean, it's really like big asterisk on almost any statement. Big asterisk. Like, listen, I should tell you that as the pilot of the aircraft, I don't actually know where we are necessarily. I j- it is my recollection of what someone told me where we are. You're just like, oh my God. Like, can we get someone who's flying the plane who knows where we are? How about that? Fully postmodern. The whole thing is... is divested of authorial intent. It's all about the subjective interpretation of each reader to determine the truth. It really is. And it is also, I think it's mesmerizing 
that this is all and good for Musk for recording this for posterity. Because this is going to be Enron-esque in the degree to which I think it's ultimately taken apart. And I think it's actually valuable to, to get inside his head to a certain degree. And it's, there are these levels at which he knows that, like, actually, all I know is what people have told me. And speaking for me, myself personally, and actually, you'd be interested to know your perspective on this as someone who has, like, led large teams. I have... I really feel that I have to get into the details to really understand something. And it's so hard to get into the details when you are relying on what someone is relaying to you. That like, it's actually, I, I feel that I need to see the source code at some level, you know, and that can be really hard. That doesn't scale, obviously. Um, so you've got to, I mean, how do you hit that balance of having kind of a large team and staying detail oriented enough to know that what you're saying is, is, has basis in fact? Yeah, I mean, like, I think we have a, little, a couple of different perspectives on this, to be honest. So, like, you know, I, I think you have to be able to build trust in the right people. And I think, you know, you're always vulnerable to maybe what's happened to Musk and that you trust the wrong people or you have people who are, you know, afraid of you. But, you know, I think you have to just be able to build a culture where you can't necessarily be in the weeds on every single thing. But you have to, like, have built a culture and a team that people are comfortable sharing the things that they don't know with the other folks on the team, yeah. admitting yeah. that they don't know something. Yeah. I mean, you, you just, yeah, I, I like, you just can't, you can't be in the weeds on everything. And also like you can't manage things that you've never worked with hands on. And you have to be able to do that if you're going to, you know, grow an org or grow a team or grow a company. Right. And I'm sure you're experiencing some of this at, at Oxide right now right i mean it's 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 you just have to be able to you know trust folks but also create the the right environment and mechanics where that trust can be safely given i think um, there's a certain level of uh, i've referred to this thing called reset theory I even talked about it with george at the end of the space where i think when people become or hit a certain threshold of success in a given area they assume that area is nearby it they can carry some of that success over. So like if I get really good at web dev, clearly I can go pick up Rust and contribute to the Linux kernel. Like if I'm an eight out of 10 web dev, I default to five out of 10 Rust Linux dev, right? No, that's not how any of this works. I basically am starting from scratch. Yeah. Like there's some amount of patterns and paradigms you can carry over, but that's a, a, a slight bump of a floor, not a guaranteed raise of a ceiling. And people, well, once they hit a certain threshold of success, often feel as though they're allowed to go to other places and just their their presence there means that they will be successful in it and then they don't take the like feedback necessary to challenge themselves and grow i get a lot right. of my mindset from skateboarding because in skateboarding you have to learn mm, all yes. like if you want to keep yes. progressing in skateboarding you start yes. to learn all your tricks switch <laughs> and i like nothing's more humbling than your first the only thing that's more humbling than your first kick flips your first switch flip because you're right. learning how to skateboard again yeah we are we we're absolutely on the same page here other than uh i got old before i started doing anything switch so but um what i would say theo to your point and, I, and, and plus 1000 on it and maybe to tie this back into like the perception of what's happened to musk or changed you know you need to have that confidence to go in and say hey i'm, I'm smart enough to come in here and, and learn a new domain and maybe have an impact but you have to still maintain that curiosity right that beginner's mindset the ability to go into that new space and acknowledge that you don't have the expertise 
but you're bringing other things to the table. And it feels like Musk has crossed some sort of threshold where it is confidence sans curiosity. And that, that feels like it creates this toxic space. I mean, there's a bunch of other shit going on there too, I think. But like, that feels like maybe a, a fundamental sort of missing link. In well, totally. And then I think that you couple that. And I do think that this is where I think the, the, the real challenge, I think, I think it's interesting for you to take the kind of like, what would be the intellectual basis for a rewrite? And I think that you're, like, you're on the right track there of where these are the kinds of reasons why a rewrite would make sense. The thing that I just cannot get my head around is this idea that your know, trust is so important when you are doing anything bold and trust is so easy to to violate. Trust is so easy to destroy. It's really hard to create. And I just see action after action after action that destroys that trust. And I'm like, I did, like that to me is like one of these kind of fundamental lessons of software development in the large is part of the reason it's challenging is because we have to build trust across a large organization. And that is really, really tricky. And it's tough to maintain. It's not easy. It never gets simple. Um, and it just feels like there's there's an unwillingness there to, to focus if, on that trust. If I've learned anything as like an eng lead and now an exec, it's that like, the best thing you can do for engineering trust is when one of like the when an engineering like decision maker or leader says that something should be rewritten like smiling and waving as they do it even if you know it shouldn't be just because of the amount of trust that, uh, and buy-in you get for that and uh, i do think a rewrite given like the engineers that are there are interested and excited about that could be a way to get a lot of buy-in. That's an interesting idea. I think that you would, to me again, like it's the total rewrite. I, like, tell me more. What are we rewriting exactly and why? And, we, you know, there may be, you know. I... By the sounds of it, they're telling him if he knows so little about the rewrite, chances are other people are the ones championing it. I would imagine well, that there's a decent pocket of engineers at Twitter who are excited about this. Eh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Look, I, here's what I'd say. I could just I be wrong like, about that. If you have insight, I mean, please share. Look, I mean, I'm, I have less and less <laughs> contacts within Twitter at this point. And, but, like, look, I, I yeah, I, I don't buy it. I mean, I feel like there were so many people that, like, like uh, this is going to be like a really crappy example. But, like, Twitter used to do these hack weeks, right? Like, once a quarter, maybe then once, yeah, you know, like twice a year, once a year. Like, it's like you give people a fucking week and they can build crazy features, maybe not fully production ready. And, and you know, like the, the, like the stack didn't ever seem to be a problem for like innovation. I think like, yeah. Twitter's inability to ship stuff like came from a much, like the friction was not on the technical side, right? It was on the product, business and leadership side, right? There's a bunch of stuff that slowed things down, but I know like, you know, everybody complains about certain sharp edges in the code, right? Or stuff that it needs to be pieces that need to be rewritten or refactored or evolved. But like, you know, like the general gestalt of Twitter over the years was not like, oh man, gotta go back and write some code and this stuff is gonna take me three years. Okay, so, Just, you know, I think you have hit, and this is a, a good point to kind of like wrap it up and bring it home on, because I think you've hit on a really, really, really important point here. That just in your experience watching Twitter over the years, as you say, with these hack weeks, where the stack wasn't the issue. The, the, it's tempting to blame the stack, but the, the thing that, that impedes innovation is much more likely to be organizational, 
leadership product, the business, than it is the stack. And when it is the stack in some regards, or when it is some aspect of the stack, that like this thing is preventing us from actually really innovating, it's honestly pretty easy to get consensus on it and and do it because it's pretty clear that it's a technical thing that is that is preventing progress rather than organizational malaise, which I think in software engineering, it is much more common to be organizational malaise that is preventing innovation rather than past technical decisions. I think we love to encode our organizations into our infrastructure and software too much for those things to be fully separated. And on top of that, Elon did lay off the vast majority of the execs and the people who would be in the ways of things like that. And as such, what's left is the like structure of how things once were. And again, like I don't, I'm not on any side here. I'm just trying to steel man the other end. Yeah, I mean, I I fully buy in to Conway's law. It's it's yeah. legit. We've all seen it over the years. It it's it's the real physics of how things work. But I mean, the nice thing about Twitter <laughs> is that we reorg every like thirty <laughs> minutes. So like the perf- perfect hedge. <laughs> perfect hedge against Conway's law is just to continuously destroy LA. <laughs> it's just uh, now uh, again like yeah I mean like it, like along with all the execs who are the problem uh, and to be fair Elon retained a couple of the execs who were a problem um, I think that Elon also nuked and paved all the people who knew how this how it worked, how the code worked. And if what you end up with is a bunch of folks, sorry, not many folks, because there's still many great people there. And I'm not, I'm not casting a, a blanket sort of uh, net across or aspersion across the entire Twitter group there. A lot of those folks are relatively new. They're like, I got, it, I, I got hired three months ago. I can't find a new job right now. And if you're dealing with a brand new tech stack and there's nobody around to walk you through the, the hows, the reasons, and the whys, it's going to seem like a hostile territory. And that it's just, it's, it's sad to see that like they're in this place and they, they can't move forward, but I don't know. Only pushback there is the use of seem like, like the software is software. It can't hurt you. And oh. seeming like it's hostile <laughs> and being hostile are the same. Yeah. <laughs> they're actually, you're, they're you're act, speaking like someone who's software. Yeah. Software. Yeah, yeah. Software. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and the, the, the uh, point I'm making is that like the distinction in this sense is it, to me unfair. Like if it seems hostile and there isn't a way around that because the people who would have been around to help you through it aren't there, that there's no meaningful distinction between seeming hostile and being hostile to me there. See, and I'll push back on that, Theo, because I because I, uh, that that um, feeling of hostility is actually born of confusion and, in some cases, lack of curiosity. And there, a knee jerk yeah. can be, I could build a simpler thing, better, faster, cheaper, more comprehensible. When in fact, uh, I just don't understand the system well enough, and the reaction needs to be to understand rather than to assume that you rather than to go to hubris well and it's interesting like the role of pacific in zfs adam um where where the so kind of the history of zfs where we were suffering we jeff bonwick suffering with with ufs bxfs desperately wanting to rewrite it but uh it really feeling like it, there was that what year period two year period where 
um, before they went to a complete rewrite, they, they really did try to reform, I would say, in terms of take uh, George's revolution or reform. And I think that those, that whatever that was, the 18 months that they were trying to do that, ended up being very important to understand all the dimensions of the problem. I mean, even still, ZFS was a total rewrite and took years and years and years and years and years, took a very long time. And it's hard to imagine a rewrite that would have more uh, more tailwind than that one had from a technical perspective and even an organizational perspective, although it was organizationally controversial at the time. I don't know, Adam. Really agreed, Brian. And I, I would also say, though, that in some ways, ZF was, was relatively simple, is relatively simple. Right? Yeah. It runs on one system. Like understanding the, the, you don't have these kind of emergent properties. I mean, I guess you do a little bit in ZFS, but they're so much more comprehensible as opposed to this, this large distributed system. And I think that's in particular, Theo, where one of your um, you know, postures or postulates kind of falls apart, which is that I, I totally believe that there are some elements of web dev that may get three times easier in three years. I don't know that that holds for some of these distributed systems, especially one of the some of these one of the kind distributed systems. Yes, but for others it is. Like I have been absolutely amazed watching like infrastructure fall in favor of serverless, watching like crazy database distribution fall in favor of Vitesse. Like these open solutions and concepts have made it, at the very least for me, significantly easier to do infra. And a big part of why yeah. I'm now in okay. like a web dev in quotes is because I was able to move out of backend for long enough to do it now because the things I needed from servers became so much simpler to do. Yeah, I mean, but by all means, like Twitter should be and honestly has been like iterating on those APIs and interfaces. Like Mesos and Aurora is like is further along the spectrum of serverless towards a pure fast solution than it is than like it sits between, let's say, Docker and uh and, and uh, like and, and no matter whatever. But yeah, the and, VM management. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, whatever the yeah. Right. So like so I think like like absolutely like there's innovation happening at these large legacy like companies all the time and i, I think like it's to it to assume like you know it's it's so easy to say like and I'm not i'm saying you're not you're not saying this but i think what i see in a public space theo is like people like oh this company's been around for whatever it's just it's old it's legacy but like you know to brian's earlier point it's the ship of theseus like it, things are changing evolving mutating all the time you know like you look at what like yao and her team were doing in terms of like metrics, observability, performance engineering, there's just so much innovation happening. And just like, it just, it, it, there's this one story lens that collapses when you get into a lot of the Musk sort of, and George, to be fair, like sort of like, sort of reads of the Twitter infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Almost entirely agree. But if for the sake of steel manning, the, the best I can do here is that Twitter's goals have shifted. And while previously, things like performance, both on like the server and infra side for cost scaling, but also for like the user experience side, like those wins matter a lot less when you're not able to make money to survive. And it's possible that through the, the shifting of the company, both in like team yeah, and mean, priorities <laughs> that this yeah. has changed. And to go I, back to the earlier point about the like hostility thing, I would still defend the point that like if you're going back to the earlier example of like a, a engineer has been at Twitter for three months, the company they're working on a code base that's existed for 12 years and the people who made all the decisions aren't there. That to me is about as hostile an environment a developer can be in. 
And I, I do still think I, that I agree. <laughs> there's a lot of reason to consider rewriting in that scenario, even yeah. just to get to the point of full understanding faster. Even if you learn through the process, oh shit, this is too hard to rewrite. Maybe uh, I better understand and appreciate the decisions that were made. No, the look, process uh, has a lot of value. Look, I, I mean, in a sense, you're right. In a sense, it is easier to understand something if you rebuild it from the ground up, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. But like, you have to be able to come in. Like, this is just, as a software professional, you have to be able to come into this strange land and then figure out why it is shaped this way, why it looks this way. Otherwise, like, every time you rebuild a team or, or the team shifts, you know, 50%, 60% new hires and... and 40% like old hands, you're rewriting. And that's just, that's a cycle of just no productivity, like zero velocity. Yeah. You got to be able to read and learn. I think that's the. the and and I think, and be and, curious, right? Ask questions. I think that the, 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 the mm -hmm. and Theo, it's kind of an interesting idea of like, well, should you go rewrite it in this situation? Because you've inherited this lost civilization. You don't know how it works. No one is around to ask this question because it has kind of descended from the ancients. Is that the grounds to go rewrite this thing from scratch and kind of learn some of those first principles? And I think like that's an interesting idea. I also think that you you need to do that carefully and you need to to make sure that you and maybe this is just me being an being having been overly burned in lives past. But I think you you want to understand the problems that are being solved and those problems may have shifted too because often you you get into these things you're like actually. The problem that this software spent a lot of time solving is actually not a problem anymore, or we've got another problem that we act, that is a much more important problem. So I think it's 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 important to revisit it in that regard. Um, it's it's also useful to ask the question: What does it mean to rewrite it? And I think this goes back to this question of: Are you talking about revolution or reform? You know, a engineer who gets into a code base that is unfamiliar. May sit there and be like, oh my God, I don't understand how this works and it's extraordinarily complicated and there's all this stuff happening asynchronously and, you know, what should I do? And it's like, well, maybe you sit down and you rewrite one function or you write some unit tests or something along those lines. Like, in some sense, you're rewriting that code, but that is qualitatively different than being like, all right, well, as, you know, this is a bit as the basis of a system of government clearly sucks. So let's kill all the lawyers and, and get on with life. You know, this is not Henry but, the Fifth, right? Yeah, you know, but in Dan, if, if I may, like, I think there's also like this really amazing thing as you bring new people onto the team and they encounter this hostile environment, they ask questions, right? Like, hey, what does this thing do? And like, you know, you're like, oh, it does this. I'm like, well, why would, why do we need to do that? Or why does, couldn't we do it this way? And there's a, it's a two way street, right? It's not just oh, like you have to figure out what we're doing. It's also like, oh, shit. You're right. That is not yeah, no, the right way to there, do it right now. Today, absolutely. Right? There is totally value to having new folks come in with a new perspective and be like, All right, do we really still need to do this? It's like, well, no, maybe we don't. Maybe we can rip this code out and simplify things. That's great. That, in some sense, is also a rewrite. The, the basic error, I feel, just we have to just <laughs> acknowledge is that, like, Coming, if Musk had come in and said, look, we are, we, you know, I, I totally bought this company that I didn't want to buy. And I'm insanely over leveraged and it sucks. But for the business to survive, we have to get to this number in revenue and we have to get to this level in bottom line cost. Start from there with the people still there just for a few months, a year. Experiment with it. That. Like, yes. Experiment with that. Figure it out together. And then not everybody goes along for that ride. That sucks. But well, like, what? Be... Oh, does it, yeah. But what, what transpired was like, get everybody who could possibly help get me out of this hole I've dug for myself 
off this ship. Get them away from me and leave me with people who are just going to tell me what I want to hear. And now here are, we are on Discord <laughs> as opposed to the lovely... That's right. This is, this is one of the things with this is Elon Musk destroying the myth of Elon Musk and doing so in a very public way. In some sense, he's doing the world Absolutely. a favor. Absolutely. I agree with that. His, his mythos had been allowed to stand for way yes. too long. And here he is just being like, like, the emperor truly has no clothes. And now we see that. It, 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 the emperor has no clothes and is running up Broadway covered in his own fecal matter. And it is, and is incredibly actually helpful and clarifying. Um, and yes, doing a, a, a great service in that regard. Well, I, um, Ian, thank you very much. Theo, thank you very much. It was great to have you both here as a, uh, both of you have the distinction. Ian, you are a jackass, according to the world's wealthiest man. <laughs> Theo, you, you, uh, you just talk nonsense, according to the world's wealthiest man. Um, so... He liked my take on video ads later right, on. I'll, I'll give him credit there. He seems to <laughs> vaguely understand video some amount. All right, I'm mixed but review. You know, I, but I think that you uh, you, you both have, uh, I, I, I think it was, uh, and I mean, to his credit, willing to kind of take questions from folks. And I thought, and it, but it was great that you both were uh, willing to speak truth to power um, and offer your perspective, uh, grounded as it is from your own experience. Uh, and I, I would like to believe that we can get to a kind of a more productive spot by people taking some of the productive things we can learn from all this disaster. Um, and uh, one that we can learn is that um, Ovid had it nailed in whatever it was, 40 BC. So it is, it is a big pile. <laughs> Ovid. Exactly. All right. On that note, Ian, Theo, thanks again. Dan, thanks for joining us. Adam, thank you very much. Uh, and we will see you. Yeah, thanks as always, Brian. This is fun. fun. Not next week because uh, Adam, you're, you're with the fam next week. But we will then uh, two weeks from now we are going to do predictions for 2023. Uh, it's going to be a banger. So bring your predictions, and uh, we'll, it'll be a good one. All right. Thanks, everybody. Happy New Year. See ya. Happy holidays. Later. <laughs>